In Atlanta, one voice has stood out for over four decades. An AJC original, The Monica Pearson Show. Let's talk about how you got to ESPN. Revealing interviews. You are known as America's doctor, but I want to know who you were before that. When you have a different name, you have different color skin, it can be tough. With Atlanta's most famous faces as you've never seen them before. I'm telling my story. This is the American dream. The Monica Pearson Show, streaming now on AJC.com. Hip-hop is a product of black people. It's a product of black song and celebration. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution presents... Hip-hop's most pulled elements are pulled from the South. A Southern hip-hop story. We always go back to that moment of the Source Awards. Everybody wants your rhythm, but they don't want your blues. The biggest names in hip-hop. Atlanta is still the mecca for hip-hop. 50 years. No one can deny... One film. The power of the South now. The South got something to say. Streaming now at AJC.com slash hip-hop. Hello and welcome to the latest edition of the Politically Georgia podcast, where we bring you news and analysis from all the latest Georgia shenanigans in Congress and under the Gold Dome. And today we're joined by Tia Mitchell, the AJC's Washington correspondent, who's right in the thick of impeachment hearings up in D.C. How's it going, Tia? It's going well. Long day on Tuesday and um, we're getting back at it. But it's, you know, an exciting time to be a Washington reporter. Yeah, and I have a feeling you're going to have a lot of long days to come. And and that's where we want to start off because you're in the middle of impeachment hearings and the Atlanta Journal-Constitution just released a poll of a lot of different issues, a lot of legislative issues, a lot of political issues. But I think one of the biggest findings was was about the impeachment hearings. And, and I, I was a little surprised by uh, by, by the, uh, the main finding that we wrote about the other day. Yeah, I think it goes to show that even among people who – aren't big fans of President Trump, and they may even think he did something wrong or, you know, are open to the argument that he did something wrong, they still don't necessarily believe that the Senate should remove him from office. A lot of Georgia voters are saying, let it play out in the 2020 election. To be precise on that, um, 38% of the Georgia registered voters polled by the University of Georgia for the AJC say the Senate should remove the president from office and 57% say voters should decide. That includes uh, a decent amount of of Democrats um, who might oppose President Trump ideologically, but, but says that voters should decide in November. And of course, it includes a majority of Republicans who say that voters should, should decide from the start. Right. And I think it's interesting because it, it indicates that, you know, voters, number one, take seriously rem- what removing a president means. And, and, and even though so far there's been a lot said about um, President Trump and the military aid towards the Ukraine, and again, a lot of people have said they aren't necessarily comfortable with what President Trump did, but that removal from office is really serious and they'd rather let voters decide, which is, you know, that's also kind of like one of the tenets of our American democracy is, you know, American voters really, really take seriously that it's their job to decide who represents them and barring, you know, really, really egregious activity. They don't want that taken away from them. Now this could change as the trial continue continues to unfold and um, both sides make their case. 
But for now, at least in Georgia, um, among the voters we polled, removal is not very popular. And you make a good point because I will be I will be intrigued to see how these numbers move or if they do, uh, not just in Georgia but nationally as the impeachment trial goes on. Because I just don't know how many how many you know undecided Georgia voters were up at eleven p.m. or midnight watching some of these proceedings. Um, Time will tell on that, but you know you're, you're starting to see it's still obviously a giant national story in the top of the headlines and the start of the newscasts. But you're already starting to see some signs of fatigue over this, especially from voters who who aren't that you know who are already committed one way or another. And that's another thing our poll showed, which was um, 44% of of voters said they definitely plan to vote for President Trump again. 47% said they definitely plan to vote against him. And only about 8% said they don't know or wouldn't answer. So that's a, a, a giant number of, of decided voters already who definitely decide. that we're, There's not even a maybe in there that, that have already made up their minds. So you're really fighting over a sliver of the electorate between now and November 2020. Right. And, it, you know, as we know, President Trump is very polarizing, the folks that like him really, really like him. And the folks that don't like him are, you know, they don't like him and they're very much in the camp of anyone but him. And you're right. There aren't a lot of people in the middle who are persuadable one way or another, but it's a, because, you know, it only takes 50%. And right now there isn't a plurality on either of those extremes those people in the middle will be very important come election time. Yeah. At the same time, president's job approval ratings have ticked upwards in Georgia. Now I have to say that um, our methodology, UGA's methodology has changed. So it's hard to compare this poll to the one we did in November and the one we did last summer, but the numbers are clear. Um, The president's job approval is at 51%, which is just above water, right? The 50% mark is usually that, that, that main mark. See if a, to, to, to gauge a president's popularity. He's at 51%. There's a, there's a um, margin of error of 3%. So it's hard to say that, you know, it's hard to say one way or another, whether he has a majority of the, of the Georgia electorate backing his performance in office, but it certainly is better than the high thirties, low forties numbers we've seen in years past. Right. And it's, it's really, it's been interesting to talk to voters as we followed up on this poll about how they view the president. And as we, you know, as we've talked about, you know, a lot of it is based on demographics. He does very, very well among white men. Um, He doesn't do as well among women. And then when you get to African-Americans, he does very, very poorly, despite the president's outreach to African-American voters. And again, uh, folks are are pretty solid in how they view him. And um, those fault lines, again, will become very, very important on Election Day because, again, the Republican Party doesn't just want Trump to win, but they've got, you know, congressional races and two Senate races and state assembly races that really, really depend on who is going to be able to, to get folks to the polls and uh, folks wanting to remove Trump can go to the polls and vote for other, you know, Democrats down ballot. Yeah. And, and, and these numbers also reflect the same trend we've seen, not just in Georgia, but nationally as well. 
uh, of the ideological divide. Republicans overwhelmingly approve President Trump. 93% of Republicans approve him. And Democrats overwhelmingly disapprove 92%. So there's there's not much there's not much margin there um, on the on the uh, the ideological basis. Independents, of course, are more mixed, and they're the block of voters that we also really closely follow here in Georgia because um, they tend to be the bigger most most a plurality of Georgia voters often describes itself as as um, independents, and they tend to they have voted conservatively in the past few elections and have helped give. Um, Republicans that winning margin. Um, Tia, one thing you mentioned too is the follow up calls, and I want to give our listeners uh, a sort of sense of what of what we do to to report these polls because oftentimes we get the poll results late at night on like a Wednesday or Thursday night, and then we just go into a scramble the next day to call as many people and you and me and and the rest of our report uh, our team of reporters Maya. And Mark Nisi kind of divvy up these calls, and and we just kind of make cold calls to a lot of the people who respond to the polls. We don't we don't go randomly out to a park to to interview voters. We actually interview the voters that responded to the poll, and and kind of get them to to open up a little bit about why they made uh, the decisions they made in the poll. Right, and it's it's you know it's hard work because we're cold calling people. They kind of they they gave permission for us to call them back, but it's still very much a cold call that 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 shoe leather reporting that us journalists have done all of our career but it's still you know is interesting because people are like now um what is what's going to be what are what are you using this for and oh yeah it's a poll is my name going to be in it but um you know once they agree to these follow up interviews it is really enlightening because again these are just normal Georgia voters and we're asking them for their opinion and and because of you know all that polling statistical sauce that UGA has you know these voters are representative of the entire state and um they they have they have very clear opinions on a lot of the things uh pressing Georgians today so it's it's cool to get to know them yeah, and I'm glad you brought that up too, because that's that's a we 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 both were bombarded with emails and tweets and things that we that really happen every time we run a poll, which is from people saying I wasn't polled, or how could a poll of about a thousand people be representative of Georgia? And look, I mean, it's not an election, right? It's not it's not trying to be a poll of all six million, uh, you know, frequent Georgia voters out there. What it is 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 a sampling, and what the UGA pollsters do, and they do this for a living is they try to get a thousand people who who reflect Georgia's diversity and reflect Georgia's electorate and use them as sort of the template. And, and, and what we don't purport to say is that this is what's going to happen in November, right? Or, or that this is a predictor. What it is is a snapshot of where Georgia's electorate is right now at this very moment in time. And we're at a very unpredictable, volatile moment of time, right in the middle of impeachment hearings and right at the start of a of of a few of two different Senate races. And so, you know, it, we could look back in six months and say, see how drastically different the numbers are. But what we have now is a, a gauge on how Georgia voters are feeling. Right. And um, for those who are listening and wondering about, you know, it's very randomized. It is based on registered voters. 
um, which we know our listeners are very active and registered voters. But it also, you know, a lot of people say, well, how do we know when you call? We identify ourselves. So, you know, don't be so skeptical the next time you get a call saying, you know, I'm taking an opinion poll, hear them out. And if they mention uh, the right things, then you might want to participate in the poll. Now, if someone starts asking for your credit card information and all that stuff, (laughs) then you know that's the red flag. But, you know, we're above ground. We're not asking for any personal information other than, you know, some demographic information and some, some straightforward questions about issues in elected officials in Georgia. Yeah. Let's dive a little deeper into the poll numbers too, because we've talked about the president. Um, we also had some uh, some of our first at the AJC's polling numbers for Senator Kelly Leffler because she was appointed in early December. The last poll we did was November before she was in office. And she is still has a ways to go before being a household name here in Georgia, like let's say Governor Camper or, or Senator Perdue is. Um, only about 23% of voters gave her a favorable impression. And among Republicans, that, that number ticked up only to about 30%. Um, about a quarter of voters have an unfavorable impression of her. And a whopping 60% um, of, of, of all voters and 60% of Republicans only don't have an opinion or didn't answer. So that shows you that she. when we say she's a relative unknown, <laughs> that's all the evidence you need when more than half the electorate, even among Republicans, have no, have no opinion about her. That's right. And the other indication is people still aren't pronouncing her name correctly. You know, they're still, she's Loeffler and Loeffler and everything. So once people start pronouncing her name Leffler on a consistent basis, she will have another indication that she has arrived, you know, but it was, you know, interesting again, talking to voters about Senator Leffler, you know, a lot of people haven't heard from her or heard of her. Um, but those who have are willing to give her a chance Um, even conservative voters, those who identify as conservatives, they're saying, yes, we understand that some people are a little bit skeptical, taking a wait and see approach, but we think she deserves a chance. We believe that governor Kemp appointed her for a reason. And that was his, um, prerogative to do so. So we're going to give her some time to prove herself. So it will be interesting to see as the AJC continues to do polling, leading up to, you know, that special election that she will be in later this year, how those numbers evolve as people get to know her and her policies. You know, she is very conservative and that can endear her to some voters that can turn some voters off. Um, But I think people are definitely giving her time to establish herself. And look, at the same time, uh, we also polled for her likely Republican challenger. We did not poll for any Democrats um, in the race quite yet, but we did want to get a gauge of how Doug Collins, who is one of the most prominent House Republicans in the in in, in Washington right now, and of course um, a ubiquitous presence presence on TV defending the president against impeachment charges, um, we wanted to see how he fared among the Georgia electorate. And he still has a ways to go too. Thirty-five uh, percent of of voters have a favorable impression of him. Eighteen percent have an unfavorable view, and about fifty percent don't have an opinion or wouldn't say. His numbers are, are much stronger when when um, just isolating Republican voters. They tick up double digits, um, but still, 
um, there's a significant portion of voters who don't really know him yet either, even though he's on Fox News, it seems every time we, we turn on the TV. Right. And I think that's an indication that those who know him are kind of those Fox News loyalists, because that's been his main avenue to introduce himself to voters outside of his district, mm-hmm. of course. So I'm sure if we had a question saying, how uh, much Fox News do you watch? That would correlate very closely to how much name recognition Representative Collins has. And that will be, you know, if he's to run statewide, especially in a winner take all primary, then he can't just rely on um, conservative Republican voters because that's going to be split between him, Senator Leffler, and quite frankly, if he jumps in the race, there's nothing saying that other Republicans won't as well. Um, and then he'll have to win a general, you know, win the general election statewide in Georgia. Um, it's hard to get over that hump unless he also addresses that over half of Georgia voters aren't really familiar with him. Yeah, I was talking as a side note. I was talking with a Democratic lawmaker um, the other day who was just saying how um, they expect just, a, uh, you know, once this race is wide open, right, once Doug Collins gets in the races, as we expect him to, to do so, um, you could see Democrats pushing a number of other Republican candidates in the race and, De- and Republicans pushing another a, a number of other Democratic candidates in the race because every one of those people on the ballot, because it's a, it's a free-for-all, they call it a jungle special election, but really that means it's a free-for-all with no primaries to hash out nominees. Every person who takes away, every Democrat who takes away a thousand votes, two thousand votes from the main Democratic candidate means that it's that much more likely that this goes into a runoff and, and vice versa. Um, I wanted to talk about the other Senate race that we can't forget because it's a very important race as well. That's that's Senator David Perdue. We we didn't poll any of the um, any of the four main Democrats who are challenging him right now, but we did poll for him, and his approval rating kind of. Not not exactly a surprise. Matched lockstep with Trump uh, at fifty one percent, and that might be one of the reasons why. At least, might be because he has so closely tied himself to the president. Yeah, and you know, Senator Purdue being an incumbent, so Georgia voters are, you know, at least familiar with his name, even if they probably don't know a whole whole lot about him. But again, he has, even just recently with impeachment moving over to the Senate, definitely ramped up his defense of President Trump and his criticism of the House Democrats impeachment. And so, you know, I think Senator Perdue has tied himself to to President Trump in a way that um, if Trump rises, he rises. And if Trump sinks, that could be a little bit of trouble for him. Um, but he he is in a better position because he's more of a known entity in the state, having you know had the job for a term. You got it. And one, one, you know, I mentioned he was a household name, uh, especially among Republicans. But one somewhat surprising figure is that there are still about twenty percent, one fifth of voters who don't have an opinion or, or don't know enough about him to answer the question. Um, which I think is part and parcel of the fact too that that he has not yet started running TV ads for his campaign. Kelly Leffler is already on air. She has a lot. Of, she, as we mentioned, she has a lot of work to do to build up her name recognition. Um, but Senator Purdue has a little bit more time, I think, before he starts running ads. And so I think that number of one fifth or so of voters will start to 
you know, uh, trickle down as he gets his name out there even more. And of course, how as the Democrats in that race um, start to ramp up their their activities before the May primary. Right. And the other thing that we can't ignore is that both Senator Purdue and Senator Leffler are rich. They are loaded and they have money to spend on TV ads and, you know, uh, getting their name and face out in front of Georgia voters as the election draws closer. Yep. Purdue has a war chest of about five plus million. I think it's about six million, actually. And then Kelly Leffler has vowed to spend at least 20, and the key word here is at least, at least $20 million on her campaign. And that could rise as we get closer to November. And I want to talk to you before, before we move on um, about Governor Kemp too, because, you know, I don't, I don't know if this is a, a huge surprise, but, uh, but, but I think to a lot of listeners, it might be uh, among everyone we polled in this, in, in this survey um, among presidential candidates among the president, among David Perdue, it was Brian Kemp who had the highest approval rating of all at 60%. So, you know, at least according to this poll, he is the most popular politician in Georgia right now. Yeah, I think what Kemp has been able to do thus far is find issues that appeal to his base and reassures them that he's a tried and true Republican, such as supporting you know, the abortion, uh, the abortion bill, the heartbeat bill, as it was last year. But he's also doing things that at least gives Democrats an opportunity to give him the benefit of the doubt, such as championing pay raises for teachers. And so right now, you know, and it's a, a thin line to walk as a governor in a purplish state. But he's uh, really trying to do that. He hasn't had any major missteps. It's only been a year, um, but he hasn't had any major missteps to really, you know, um, people, of course, disagree with the heartbeat bill. But Mm -hmm. no, really, you know, he's really, really messed things up thus far. So, again, he's new and voters were willing to give him a chance to see how he establishes himself as governor as well. Yeah. Yeah. We also took a deeper look into the presidential race, and we already mentioned President Trump's numbers, but we, we, we looked at four of the top Democratic contenders. We wish we could have done a lot more, but we only had limited space and time in this poll, and each question is a certain amount of money that we have to add on, and, and really this poll also delved into a lot of legislative issues too. So, um, But we, we polled the approval ratings, the favorability ratings, I should say, for former Vice President Joe Biden. Senators Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders, and Mayor Pete Buttigieg of uh, South Bend, Indiana. And all four of them, their unfavorable ratings were above 50%. So at least according to this poll, uh, Democrats are already underwater in Georgia. Yeah. And I think that, you know, is indicative of still how tough it is for a Democrat to win statewide in Georgia there this poll didn't really go there but in head-to-head matchups democrats do tend to do you know the bidens the warrens the sanders do tend to do pretty well when we ask voters um how they feel matching up the leading democratic candidates against donald trump but they still overall in a state like georgia don't have overwhelming support as individuals or overwhelming favorability 
You got it. When we drill down deeper, though, into the more important number, at least for the March 24th primary, that that's that's their favorability rating among Democrats. Their numbers were much better. Um, Biden, Warren and Sanders each had about two thirds of Democrats who see them favorably. But Pete Buttigieg, his number was much, much, much lower. It was at 41 percent. Uh, favorability among Democrats. So he is the least known of the four we asked about. About one third said they don't have an opinion or wouldn't say. He has very little campaign operation here. Um, He's not running ads here yet, but other than Mike Bloomberg and Tom Steyer, no one is uh, and has no apparatus here. There's only a few endorsements. So, you know, he's got a, a tough hill to climb in Georgia once the attention really focuses, turns to our state in March. Yeah. And Pete, you know, Mayor Pete is kind of in that second tier of Democratic candidates. So I'm not sure that by the time Georgia's primary rolls around in March, he will still be in the picture, you know, Um, because especially after, well, now that I'm thinking about it, if he does well in Iowa and New Hampshire, he could rise, quite frankly. Oh, yeah. Um, But there won't be as many more than likely by the time Georgia's primary rolls around. It may not be a sewn up race down to one candidate, but there more than likely won't be nearly as many that are running right now. And um, Mayor Pete could fizzle out. He could strengthen. But if Mayor Pete strengthens, that means most likely that some of these other candidates that we are talking about will have fizzled out. And those supporters will be looking to Mayor Pete and his numbers could rise as a result. And look, you can't count out some of the other candidates that still have formidable operations um, in the early voting states. Amy Klobuchar, the senator from Minnesota, and of course, Mike Bloomberg, who I think would, we would have to poll in the next AJC poll as long as he's still in the race, because you can't turn on a TV down here in Atlanta without seeing one of his ads. I mean, you know, uh, I was just talking to a colleague who said that her 12-year-old daughter is watching YouTube videos and coming away with YouTube videos saying, who is this Bloomberg guy? He came to Georgia a few weeks ago and attracted a pretty pretty big crowd um, as as presidential candidates go, Who, you know, for someone who just jumped in the race, uh, packed a room in West Atlanta, uh, made the rounds, went to Stacey Abrams' event uh, for her fair fight um, action group that he donated $5 million to. So you're starting to see... Uh, the the formation of his campaign and and we've reported on this but Elizabeth Warren is the only candidate with a significant paid operation in Georgia right now she she has hired about a half dozen staffers here and and is starting about six or seven offices but right on her heels could be Mike Bloomberg because um, what I've understood from his his campaign told me that they are going to have six or seven offices in Georgia by March and they're going to have a significant operation because they can afford it. Right. Because that's the other thing is, you know, he has money to spend and he has made it clear he's going to spend it whether he's the nominee or not. So it's almost like he has nothing to lose. He doesn't plan on being conservative with his money and he plans to build an operation that he can pass on to the nominee, even if it's not him. And so that does make him a part of the conversation because I think that makes Democrats open to hearing him out. Um, And we have to remember that for Democratic voters, not just in Georgia, but nationwide, their number one goal is beating Donald Trump in November. So it's less about ideology. Ideology matters, but it's less about ideology. It's less about them deciding, well, who do I like best? Whose policies do I like best? 
Democratic voters have shown us time and time again that they are looking at who do we think can beat Donald Trump. And when you have a candidate who, again, has a personal fortune, they're willing to invest. And we know that money does really help make a difference in politics. It's not end all be all, but it makes a difference. Then Democratic voters are looking at Bloomberg as possibly someone they can get behind to beat Donald Trump. And a couple of days ago, I think he earned some goodwill among among his fellow Democrats by saying that no matter what, he's going to keep his operation going, even if he loses, to help whoever is the nominee, if it's not him. So right. I think that went a long way to 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 um, you know just smoothing over some of the tensions that that inevitably happen when a billionaire who who um, you know who used to court Republicans back when he was the New York mayor jumps in this race. Right. And and he's out there and he's working hard and he's starting to get some endorsements, um, some some big named endorsements. Yep. And he has Augusta's mayor um, on his on his side. And, you know, it's interesting. Uh, before we go, we we had the first congressman from Georgia um, endorse Sanford Bishop endorsed Joe Biden. And it's reflective of Joe Biden certainly has the by far the, the biggest haul of endorsements in Georgia. But I'll be really interested to see where Lucy McBath ends up lining up on this because she, of course, was a one of the top surrogates, one of the top you know uh, 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 f- officials aligned with Michael Bloomberg's anti-gun uh, campaign, his, his gun control campaign. So um, it'll be really fun to see where she goes. Yeah, she essentially worked for him. Yeah, she essentially worked for him through the um, Every Town for Gun Safety and Moms Demand Action. Um, and she's new to Congress. So I'm sure she has an affinity for Joe Biden, but it's not like they have the relationship that I'm sure she has with Mayor Bloomberg. But, you know, she has her own highly contested race to worry about. So I could see Lucy McBath staying out of that endorsement, um, you know, staying away from endorsing a candidate too early on because it just doesn't help, you know, possibly alienating voters she'll need for what could be her own close race. Got it. Well, Tia, thank you so much for joining us. We're going to be talking plenty about all this fun stuff and as well as impeachment. So hang in there. I know it's been some long days, but there's a lot more long days to come. We're built for this. I'm, I'm here. I'm enjoying it. Hang in there. Thanks, Tia. That's all for this edition of the Politically Georgia podcast. Visit AJC.com slash politics for all the latest in Georgia news. I'm Greg Bluestein signing off. Donald Trump has been indicted in Atlanta. We have so many court dockets to follow, but we haven't really seen anything yet. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution has covered every moment of this historic case. I've been writing about this investigation for two and a half years. Our team is led by reporters Bill Rankin and Tamar Hallerman. Follow our coverage on AJC.com and listen to new in-depth episodes of the award-winning podcast, Breakdown, The Trump Indictment, only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Our journalists at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution are working around the clock to keep you updated on all the developments surrounding the Trump indictment. Now the AJC is putting all of our coverage in one place with our new Trump 19 newsletter. Every Wednesday, you'll have our latest coverage and analysis on this historic case in your inbox. So sign up for free today at AJC.com slash indictment newsletter. That's all one word, AJC.com slash indictment newsletter.